listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. You may be seated. This is God's word over us this morning. Well, I want to welcome you here to White Oak uh, this morning. I'm so glad you're here and a part of our faith family. My name is James Jandell. If you've never met me before, I'm the discipleship pastor here at White Oak. And uh, if you are new or visiting this morning, I just want to give a special welcome to you. Uh, I truly believe that God has more in store for your life than you could ever imagine. And probably my favorite part of my job is, is helping you discover what God has for you and all he has for you. And so I hope that today goes a long way in getting you there. But before we get to our text this morning, I kind of have a confession uh, to make. And it's going to sound silly to a lot of you probably, but I hope a few of you can relate to this. I have anxiety any time that I order from the drive-thru. I don't know if anyone else like shares in this anxiety, but anytime I'm next up in the drive-thru or even just in a restaurant, when I have to do the ordering, I get really, really anxious. It's like not a phobia per se, but I still get anxious. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm just going to ask for a show of hands, please, does anyone else feel any sort of anxiety when they order stuff Okay, we got a couple of people in here. We're going to have a support group after church. I'm just kidding. But for the rest of you, if you don't get any anxiety when this happens, you can at least enjoy the story. So I think for me, my anxiety with ordering uh, from the menus probably started when I was a teenager and I was with some of my friends and I was driving. And we, you know, when you're driving and you're going through the drive through you're the guy who's got to order for everyone, right? And I hate to do that because everyone's always ordering like extra pickles, no mayonnaise, all that stuff. I just can't remember in my head all of their order. I hate to order. But in this particular instance, uh, he didn't order anything special. All he wanted was a junior bacon cheeseburger. That's all he wanted, junior bacon cheeseburger. And unfortunately, when I went up to the window and I ordered our meal, I ordered a Bunyan Jake and Cheeseburger. And I have no idea why I said that. It just came out of my mouth. And I haven't been able to live that down with my friends since. But it started me on a trajectory of being very terrible at ordering food in restaurants. Like if I go to a restaurant, and let's say it's like a Greek restaurant or maybe a Vietnamese restaurant, if I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm just going to point to it. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. You know, like the Greek restaurants, what that one lamb Is it gyro, 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 gyro? I don't know how to pronounce that. So I just point to it. Thank you. I'll I'll get what you shall believe after the service. So I just won't uh, order it with my mouth. I'll just point to it. But even at Chick-fil-A, I've had some problems. I've noticed that when I order, I guess I mumble a little bit. And so whenever I try to give my name to them, they always give me something crazy back. So I was at Chick-fil-A one time and they asked for the name on the order. And I said, James. And she goes, Champs? 
I said, James. And she's like, champs? I'm like, James. And she's like, C-H-A-M-P-S? I'm like, yes, exactly. That's how, my name is Champs. You can call me that. Uh, but I think it culminated probably at Starbucks. A few years back, I was ordering from Starbucks often. If you follow me on Facebook, you know about this traumatic event in my life. And so I go to Starbucks. They ask for a name on the order. I say, James. And I go to sit down. And a few minutes later, I hear them shout, Jance. Jance, and I'm like, is that it? We'll throw it up on the screen. So this is what they wrote in my cup. Uh, I, I said, that's a strange name. They said, caramel macchiato for Jance. I'm like, I got a caramel macchiato, but I'm not Jance, right? She says, a caramel macchiato upside down with three pumps of vanilla for Jance. I'm like, it's totally mine. I go up. I say, hey, guys, my name is James. I think this is mine. And they point to the cup. They said, this one's for Jance. And I'm like, I think this is for me. And they apologize. I finally get my drink. I go on. A week later, I come in. I go through the same routine. And this time, uh, you can debate it here, but they called it out. Jamie was what they put on my cup because um, I thought I said Jamie, I guess. But the worst one was the third time I go back in. It's the same place. They know me. I go, my name is James. I go to sit down. And a few minutes later, I hear them say, Lames, uh, Lames, this is right here, you can see it, a, a venti ice vanilla latte for Lames, and I get up, and I make the walk of shame, I grab it, and I sit down in solitude. I feel like it was a losing battle at that point, but these days, I just have Sarah order for us, or I mobile order, I try not to do it in person, but I bring this up because I feel like we try to avoid things that make us uncomfortable, right? If, if we're embarrassed by something, or if we get anxiety around something, then we, we tend to try to avoid it, right? And we're in church this morning, we're talking about spiritual things, and so I think prayer is probably one of those things that makes some of us uncomfortable. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to pray out loud in front of other people, but for some people in here, you'd rather get dental work done than pray in front of other people. You feel really uncomfortable doing that, right? Maybe for some of you, even when you pray in private, it's uncomfortable. You're not quite sure what to say. You have all these different things. You're just, I, I'm just not a praying person. And maybe that's you in here this morning. I think there are a lot of things that keep us from the dynamic prayer life that God intends for us. And I want to go over a few of those really quickly at the start. Maybe you're in here this morning and some of these relate to you. Number one, some people think, you know what? I don't think prayer actually helps right? Prayer is like a Christian ritual, just like reading the Bible, but I don't think it actually does anything, right? I close my eyes, I pray, and I don't know what happens after that. Maybe it goes up to God, maybe it hits the ceiling, whatever. It's just a Christian ritual, but I don't think it actually helps. Number two that keeps people from praying, I don't know what to pray for, right? What should I pray for? Do I pray for good health, good wealth, and everything else? Like, what does God want me to pray for? Are there bad things to pray for? I just don't know what to pray for. Number three, and if we're being honest this morning, I think prayer is kind of boring, right? Prayer is kind of boring. Let, let me know, have you ever been in a situation where you try to pray by yourself, right? And you, maybe you sit down, you're by yourself, and you close your eyes, you pray as hard as you can, you pray for everything uh, that you can think to pray of, and then you open your eyes, you look at your watch, it's been a minute and 45 seconds. Anyone ever been in that situation before? Prayer seems to slow time down sometimes. And then you check your Facebook, and some super Christian has posted this Martin Luther quote, which I love. He says, I have so much to do that if I didn't spend at least three hours of prayer a day, I would never get anything done. And you see that and you go, oh, 
I ain't ever praying three hours a day. I'm going to leave prayer up to the professionals. I'm going to leave it to the pastors. I'm going to leave it to the people who are good at prayer. Maybe that's you this morning. And then the fourth thing that I think keeps us from prayer, and it might be surprising to you, but I think I should pray more. And a lot of us probably think, you know, I I should pray more. But here's the problem with using that as a motivation to pray. The things you think you should do in life are often the least inspiring things. You should do your taxes. You should go to work Monday mornings. You should clean your house and make sure it stays clean and straightened. But those are the least inspiring things that we do in life. And if you have this conception that prayer is something that you should do, you will actually end up praying less. So I want to tell you this morning that even though this is a message on prayer— The goal of this message is not to get you to pray more. The goal is not prayer. The goal is to get into the presence of God so that you can leave with the power of God so that you can help shape the world with God. That's not even one of my points, but I'm going to go over it again. Prayer is about entering into the presence of God so that you can leave with the power of God so that you can help shape the world with God. This is what prayer is about. The goal is not prayer. The goal is to get into the presence of God. I want you to have a dynamic prayer life. I want you to have a prayer life that moves you and moves the world around you. But in order to do that, we have to get rid of some misconceptions about prayer, get rid of some temptations that keep us from praying, and that's what I want to do this morning. So if you would come back with me to Matthew 28, verse 16. We're going to read it one more time, but I want you to do something a little different this time. As we read it, you can close your eyes maybe. I want you to imagine that you're there. You ever read a book and imagine that you're in the place of the people in the book? I want you to imagine that you're there. Close your eyes if you have to. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So imagine you're there. You've just witnessed the most traumatic event that you have ever experienced in your life, and that's the torture, crucifixion, and death of Jesus. He's your rabbi. He's your teacher. You've spent the last three years walking with him. Now he's dead. And then a few days later, you witness the most amazing event you've ever seen in your life. Jesus, back to life. And Jesus directs you to this mountaintop, right? So you go there with the disciples and a figure emerges into view. And I'm sure like the disciples, some of us would probably be falling over each other to worship this figure that's coming toward us. It's Jesus, the God-man, back to life. I imagine some of us would probably be like the disciples and we're just paralyzed, shocked into disbelief that Jesus is in front of us. And this figure walks toward us, opens his mouth, and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You can open your eyes now if you've had them closed. I think about that, and it gives me chills. And notice he didn't walk up and was like, Hey guys, what's up? I'm back. Did you miss me? I'm I'm here again. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That's the first thing 
he says. And if you were there, I would imagine you would either be frightened and terrified of that statement or strangely comforted. And this morning, I choose to be strangely comforted by this statement. And the reason that it is, the reason that statement is comforting is because it means that this Christian life thing that Jesus is about to beckon his disciples into, and this Christian life thing that Jesus is beckoning us into, is totally and completely powered by Jesus. All of it. Everything from beginning to end is powered by Jesus. The Great Commission is powered by the authority of Jesus. Disciple-making is powered by Jesus. Holiness is powered by Jesus. Forgiveness is powered by Jesus. Protection and provision in your life is powered by Jesus. And as we talk about prayer this morning, prayer is powered by the authority of Jesus, not you. Prayer is powered by the authority of Jesus, not you. Here's the misconception that a lot of Christians have, especially newer Christians. This is idea that I have to have all the Christian lingo down before I become a praying person. Right? I've talked to different people as a pastor in the church and outside the church and say, you know what, James, I'm just not a praying person. I'm not naturally good at praying. And maybe that's you this morning. I'm not a naturally praying person. My, my spouse is good at praying, But I'm not, now I leave the praying up to them, but I'm not a naturally praying person. And if that's you this morning, I really want to speak to you, speak to your heart. I want to comfort you a little bit and say, if that's you, I 100% agree with you. You're not a naturally praying person. None of us are. That's why Jesus had to teach his disciples to pray. That's why Jesus has to teach us to pray. And the amazing thing is, is that God doesn't hear you because of how well you string sentences together with your eyes closed. And God doesn't refuse to hear you because of how poorly you string together sentences with your eyes closed. Prayer is simply a vehicle that gets you to God. And if prayer is a vehicle, it don't matter whether you have a Tesla or a 92 Toyota Corolla, as long as it gets you there. And that's what prayer is about. It gets us into the presence of God. The beautiful thing about prayer is you don't have to be good at prayer in order for it to be powerful because it don't rest on you. It rests on Jesus. Romans 8, uh, verse 27. You can open it there if you want to, but it'll be on the screen behind me. It says, And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Holy Spirit is saying, for the Holy Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. So sometimes we pray and we're not quite sure what to pray for. Are we pray, we're afraid we're going to pray the wrong thing. Are we afraid we're going to pray something that God doesn't ultimately want for us. And we think, you know what, I don't want to pray something wrong. I don't want God to be mad at me. But what I see in this verse right here is that the Holy Spirit is like an editor to our prayers. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. It knows, he knows our hearts. He knows what we need. And so the Holy Spirit is like an editor. Authors and writers need editors because sometimes they put out bad content. And the Holy Spirit is like an editor to our prayers. So even if you don't know exactly what to pray, even if you're not praying correct theologically every single time, the Holy Spirit goes in, corrects that, sends it up to the Father. He knows what we need. Romans 8.34, check it out, a few verses down. It says, who then will condemn us? No one. That's a sermon unto itself. But it says, for Christ died 
for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So what's more is not only is the Holy Spirit an editor to our prayers— I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to get an email probably after my sermon. But here's the thing. Even if you never prayed again in your life, you'd be taken care of because Jesus always intercedes for us. Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father interceding for your needs. So even if you never prayed again, you would be good because God intercedes on your behalf. But here's the problem. The problem is that Jesus would never want to rob you of the joy that comes with entering into the presence of God. He wants to invite you into that. He wants to invite you into that joy. So these truths, this idea that the Holy Spirit edits your prayers and helps you pray as you ought to, and this idea that Jesus is always interceding on your behalf, is not meant to lead you away from prayer, but toward prayer in such a way that says, you know what, the responsibility really isn't on me, it's on God. Hebrews 4.16, this is a beloved, well-known verse. I'll throw it up on the screen. It says, so let us come, what, timidly? No, boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Prayer is powered by the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is beckoning you, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not your friend. Jesus is beckoning you into powerful, guilt-free, confident, gospel-bought prayer. Jesus is essentially saying, come with me to the throne of God. Christian, go with Jesus to the throne of God. Men, go with Jesus to the throne of God. Mothers, go with Jesus to the throne of God. Broken-hearted, go with Jesus to the throne of God. People dealing with sin in their life, go with Jesus to the throne of God. You need help, you need provision, go with Jesus to the throne of God. And don't let fear or embarrassment or discomfort keep you from praying because the more you get those thoughts in your head, the more you steal authority away from Jesus and put it on yourself. The Bible says the authority is with Jesus. And when we pray, it rests on him, not on you. That's not the only thing we get wrong with prayer. Look back at our verse uh, in Matthew, in verse 18. We read, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now verse 19, he says, therefore go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So notice what Jesus didn't do. This, notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't come up and say, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go home, keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you guys in a couple thousand years. All right? He didn't say that. He says, therefore, go. But in fact, Jesus' declaration of authority is meant to indicate that the status quo in the disciples' lives and the status quo in the world is not good enough anymore. That there's a new paradigm. That Jesus is inviting them into more. He's inviting them into a great mission. And he's also saying, I am with you always. My power, my presence is always available to you. It's always there. Jesus is with us. And I think that's where many Christians get prayer wrong. Prayer isn't about maintenance, it's about momentum. You see, if you're in here this morning and you think that prayer is boring, 
Maybe it's because you think that prayer is about maintaining the life that you have. But in reality, if you want to maintain the life you have, you probably don't need God for that. You can keep doing what you're doing and you'll probably have the life that you have now. But if you want all that God has for you, if you want all that God has for your spouse, if you want all that God has for your children and for your church and for your city, you can't do that. Only God can. You need the power of God. In order to get the power of God, you need the discipline of prayer. Prayer isn't about maintaining your current life, but creating a God-powered momentum in your life. I think here's the problem. And I'll be honest, and I've been here, and I hope you'll be honest with yourself if this is the case. The problem is that many of us have grown to accept the status quo in our life, and our prayers reflect that. Many of us have grown to accept the status quo in our life, and our prayers reflect that. My marriage just is what it is. My relationship with God just is what it is. That sin in my life is just a part of who I am. It just is what it is. But if prayer is about momentum, then prayer is about saying in Jesus' name, I do not accept the status quo in my life. If Jesus wants more for me, I want more for me. And if Jesus wants more for my marriage, I want more for my marriage. And if Jesus wants more in my relationship with him, if he wants my relationship to be powerful, dynamic, full of faith and trust, I want that. And if Jesus wants me to have victory over the sin in my life, I want that. And consistently entering into the presence of God means we consistently leave with the power of God. We build those rhythms in our life. I heard this really great quote by a Christian writer. He says, prayer brings God's blessing and God's provision. A praying person lives with the kind of spiritual momentum and favor that only consistent prayer can bring. You see, your momentum determines your direction in life. Right, you make wrong choices, you make sinful choices, you, you move away from the Lord, you rely on your own strength, it's going to lead you into a downward spiral. You begin to trust in the Lord, begin to build rhythms of prayer in your life, short, quick prayers throughout the day, but also longer prayer times from time to time, it's going to lead you into an upward cycle of faith and trust in the Lord. It's like exercise. You want sporadic results? Exercise sporadically. You want consistent results? exercise consistently. Same with prayer. Prayer is all about that. And when you begin to string together these times of prayer consistently, you begin to really feel the momentum in your life. It changes your attitude and it changes your circumstances. In Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, verse 17 through 19, the apostle Paul prayed a prayer. And I like to call these kind of prayers momentum building prayers. And you're going to see why. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm just going to summarize it here. Paul says, and Paul prays for the Ephesian church this. He prays that they may have power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That's a momentum building prayer. And if you don't quite get it, let me just explain it a little bit. What Paul is saying is he's praying that the Ephesian church would go around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, conscious of how much Jesus loves them. Imagine if you had that on your mind 24 hours a day. That's not a maintenance prayer. 
maintenance prayers. God, continue to give me good health. Continue to keep my job. I pray that you'd be with me. Amen. Not a bad prayer. Kind of a boring prayer. This is a momentum building prayer. And I wonder when's the last time you prayed for spiritual momentum in your life? Husband, when was the last time you prayed, God, I pray that you would give my wife and I the best relationship we have ever had this week. When's the last time you prayed, God, I pray that you would just, my relationship with you this week would just be on fire. That I would just love you more than I've ever loved you. That I would find victory over sin in my life. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that, expecting God to move? Don't make prayer about maintenance. Aim higher with your prayers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It'll be our last passage that we sort of look at this morning. And it'll probably be familiar to you as you open up there. Uh, I'll set a little context. So the disciples uh, had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And we find uh, this particular prayer in a couple of different points in Scripture, and we often call it the Lord's Prayer. And if you uh, grew up in church at all or are familiar with church, you probably heard this prayer. And this is Jesus' sort of model prayer for us when we don't know how to pray. This is what he says. He says, pray then like this. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some translations might put, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus encourages us to pray a lot of different things in this passage, right? He talks about daily bread. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about deliverance from evil. But I want to zero in on the number one thing that Jesus calls his disciples to pray for. And can you see it in this passage? The number one thing he says is, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What makes prayer spectacular It's not just that we get to pray for our own problems and our own needs, but that prayer gives us the power to bring heaven down to earth. Prayer gives us the power to bring heaven down to earth. Prayer isn't just about spilling out all of our problems before God. Prayer is God's way of engaging us with the problems of the world. Prayer is how God aligns us to his mission of bringing his will and his kingdom down to earth. You see, when you and I read the Bible, you open up the Bible and you read all these stories, right? You read stories about healing, stories about uh, people being saved, stories about disciples being sent out, stories about compassion on the poor and all these different things. And when you're reading the Bible, you're seeing a window into a world where God's justice and peace reigns. And prayer is about inviting that justice and peace into our world, into our time, into our present, not just in the Bible, but to where we're at in this place. Prayer is about inviting those things down. I heard a pastor say this one time, uh, and it always kind of stuck with me. He said, I will pray no prayer where I'm not willing to be the solution to the problem. When Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done— He's asking the Father to align his heart with the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is that his people might go forth as his representatives in the world. I think it's really interesting in this passage how Jesus says, All authority is mine, heaven and earth is all me, therefore you go. 
And he says, I'll be with you as you go. And so, in a way, Jesus has given us the authority to make disciples and to invite others into the church and into the faith. You already have the credentials. Like, you've got a badge on right now. You've got a badge with your name, and it says, Kingdom Disciple Maker. If you're a Christian, you've got the badge. The problem is, you probably don't make disciples, or maybe you're nervous about making disciples, or nervous about engaging in spiritual conversations, because you have the authority from Jesus— but you don't have the power. Prayer fills the gap. When we pray to the Lord, great commission type prayers, we invite him to give us not only his authority, but his power to go forth. So what does that look like practically? What does it look like to pray missionally? Not just for your needs, but to look beyond yourself into the needs of the people in the church and to the neighborhoods around us. What does that look very practically? I, I want to help you out this morning. I want to give you two dangerous prayers, for lack of a better word. Turn to your neighbor and say, two dangerous prayers. Turn to your other neighbor and say, two dangerous prayers. All right, I like the emphasis. All right, so if you want to jumpstart your prayer life, if you want to make it a little less boring, I'm going to give you two prayers that will make you nervous really, really quick. Prayer number one, send me. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. You want a scary, dangerous prayer that God will answer real quick? Pray, send me. Dangerous prayer number two. Send opportunities. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 uh, says this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. (laughs) You want a dangerous prayer? Don't only just pray, God, send me, but pray for opportunities opportunities to press into the needs of the people around you, opportunities to get into spiritual conversations with your family and with your co-workers and with your friends. Pray for these things. Pray, Lord, open up the needs of those around me. Open up the problems of those around me. I want to jump into those that I might represent Christ in them. You see, if prayer for your personal life can build momentum in your life, then it follows that if God's people pray for momentum in their church and in their city, that it would build spiritual momentum in our city. And I truly believe that this morning. And as we draw to a close this morning, I want to linger on that thought for a while. We're going to linger on this thought. This idea that prayer brings spiritual momentum. We know it brings it in our own life, if only we're willing to pray and to ask for it. But what does it look like when God's people unite in prayer for a movement of God? I've been convicted about prayer recently. You say you're not a naturally praying person. I'm not a naturally praying person. I'm a person that sees something that needs to be fixed. I'm going to go fix it. I rely on my own strength and my own power often. And yet I was reminded, convicted, floored by what John the Baptist said. And he said that man can have no good thing except that which is given to him from above. Prayer is an acknowledgement 
that we have nothing apart from God. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we need Him, that there's going to be a movement in our lives, that there's going to be a movement in our church, that there's going to be a movement in our city. It's going to come through Him and Him alone. Not through a charismatic pastor, not through your talent, your ability, but through God. So we talked about some application here this morning, and you have some dangerous prayers that you can pray. But I also want to introduce a church-wide initiative that we're starting here in a few weeks, and we're calling it Momentum. And it's going to be a Sunday morning prayer team. And I'm making the call right now, asking for people in our church to join me in going to the throne of God. I don't think it'll take many. It's 180-ish people in our church. I think we only need six, maybe seven, maybe eight. People on the Momentum team will do four things. Number one, they'll boldly pray for the lost, hurting, and broken with us during the worship gathering. Number two, they'll supportively pray for the pastors and staff as they lead the worship gathering. Number three, they'll passionately pray that God would draw people from Oak Forest and Garden Oaks into his church, into his grace, into his power, and into his life. And number four, they'll be available during that hour for anyone who needs prayer on Sunday morning. If you want a real, tangible step forward in serving the people around you, you're not already in a Sunday group or not already in a Sunday team, I think God is calling you to join in this initiative. Real quick story, and then I'll close. A few years back, I was in a small group, and uh, part of my job in a small group was to take down the prayer request. You know, we do that often. We send them out to people. And at the end of the small group, it happened about a, a few months or so. At the end of the group, I didn't have a lesson prepared. I said, you know what? I'm going to do something a little different. So I got a big white sheet of paper, a big piece of butcher paper, And I had all the prayer requests that we had asked over the course of the semester, and I began to write them down. And there were a lot. There were about 30 or so that that happened over the course of the semester. And I began to ask people. I said, so what happened with this one? And they said, oh, well, God took care of it. I said, okay. And I crossed it off. And then I asked the next person, I said, what happened to this one? What, what happened with that? Well, you know, it didn't exactly work out the way I wanted it to, but God did work it out, and I crossed that off. And by the end of it, there were only like one or two that we needed more prayer for. And we began to discuss that, that, you know, maybe God's telling us we need to move in a different direction here. But I left that small group with the same conviction that I leave today with, and that is that prayer is powerful. Prayer gets us into the presence of God, builds our relationship with Him, and helps us leave with His power. So the goal this morning is not to become a praying person per se, but to become someone who relies completely and totally on God for all things in this life. So I invite you to to, to bow your head at this time with me. And to actually do it. To join me in going to the throne confidently. 
And the world may think we're crazy and people outside the church may think we're crazy that we're closing our eyes and we're saying something and that we think that it's going to change things. But we believe it because Jesus says it's true. Dear Heavenly Father, you're not an abstract reality. Christianity isn't just a self-help religion. Is a relationship with you. Father, as I lead this prayer, I know that I'm not worthy to be saying anything to you. I'm not worthy to represent these people as they also pray in their hearts, Lord, but I know it doesn't matter because your Son pleads on our behalf. So, Father, I pray. For all the different needs that are represented in our community, of which I'm very familiar with many of them. For the broken, we need the physician. For the hard-hearted, Lord, we need your word to come in and humble us. But even beyond that, Lord, we pray for momentum in this church for a movement of God. We pray that you might bend down and, and, and kiss us, Lord, as we look up to you. We need your presence. We need your power in this place. We ask that you would come, come, Lord Jesus, as we lay down everything before you. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.